Welcome back to a quick timeout. I'm your host, Coach Tony Miller. Joining us today is Coach Nick from B-Ball Breakdown. Many of you are probably familiar with B-Ball Breakdown, whether it's through podcasts or Twitter content or YouTube videos. Chances are you've consumed some of Coach Nick's basketball content along the way. Uh, if you've listened to the show for a while now, you know that because it's the offseason, we've been taking some of these episodes to talk about skill development. Today, I wanted to focus on the topic of shooting. Um, as a college professor teaching coaching basketball to students and then also during my time interacting with and observing coaches, one of the areas in which most coaches are deficient, in my opinion, is in the ability to recognize incorrect shooting mechanics or to reemphasize uh, positively, uh, give feedback to correct shooting mechanics and then communicate effectively to their players either how to change those areas or how to continue to do what they, they just saw positively being done. Uh, Coach Nick, you can chime in here. But I think the reason a lot of coaches sometimes have a hard time with this is because shooting is one of those skills that they've personally done for years. And so when they see a player shooting incorrectly, they know what the kid isn't doing right. But it's one of those things you want to say to your players, no, no, don't do it like this. And then you take a shot and the kid may be able to recognize the process and what is a good shot and then replicate it on their own. But chances are they probably can't. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just shooting in general, good shooting mechanics. Um, anything like that to kind of help our coaches? Well, sure. You know, it's funny. The longer I do this, the more I, the less I do uh, as far as trying to, I used to torture my players, uh, stretching and yanking their elbows and trying to get their wrists stretched a certain way. It was kind of a nightmare. I've called old players up and just apologized for torturing <laughs> them that way because the more I look at this, the more what I realize is that, you know, the, each individual's um, physical makeup and how they are, they, they, their biomechanics work indicates how they'll be able to create their own shot. And there, this notion of like the Clay Thompson perfect form, it might not even be physiologically possible for certain players. So the more I look at it, the more what I always try and develop is just simply rhythm. In my mind, rhythm is the most important part of the jump shot, bar nothing else. And it's that attention to detail you got to have to be able to see those components um, that a lot of times coaches might not have. And that's what's frustrating. They kind of just default back to this sort of yeah, uh, antiquated perfection uh, in their head. I was just talking to some players last week about it. I remember personally being at clinics when I was a little kid, but it was always 10 toes to the rim, get your elbow in, um, eyes looking at a specific point on the rim. I had one coach even tell me I should be looking at the, the piece that's holding the net in place and looking back on that and even trying to replicate that one, it feels extremely uncomfortable because my elbow is like jammed in sideways. Like you said, just um, kind of physiologically against what it was created to do. I don't have enough time to look at any particular spot on the rim. And I'm so concerned about those minute details that I end up with this kind of mechanical, not very comfortable shot. Right. And that mechanical word you used is is the opposite of rhythm. And I think that what we see a lot of coaches, certainly like my age, I'm, I'm like 46 now, my age or older, uh, it, what solidified to them is eliminating motion. There's this bizarre, it's bizarre now to me, this bizarre thought that we must eliminate quote unquote excess or not unneeded motion. And what you end up getting is, you know, a lack of rhythm. Now you could point to a guy like Kawhi Leonard as the poster child for that. Uh, 
But then again, I just wouldn't I wouldn't use him as a guy as a, as an example. He's a very specific case where he was able to figure it out. But you could see what they did with the Spurs to help him, you know, build his shot, and maybe even earlier than that, where they just eliminated, eliminated, created a really high airspace above his head on the release. And he's just one of the few guys that doesn't really have rhythm to his jump shot, but has made it to become a an elite shooter. And I would look at a guy like Steph now. And the, the ir- irony here is that most people would say, oh, you can't look at what Steph does. He is special. And I'm like, I just don't see it that way. I, I see it. here's a guy doing something we have never seen before. And he does certain things that we hadn't really seen or would have been against what coaches would teach. And and yet maybe he's we should learn from this and reverse engineer prop some of the things he's doing. And I think and I've done that and it's been tremendous. Can we go back to that excess motion thing? Um, I, I think sometimes there's a, a imbalance in what we teach. We as coaches sometimes talk in absolutes like you have to do it this way. You can't have any excess motion. You can do this. You can't do this. So the excess motion, because, again, I was just coaching some high schoolers this last week. And they're swinging the ball around. Um, you've talked, I've seen videos before talking about like the dip. Can you talk about what that should properly look like, that the proper rhythm motion? Sure. Okay. And when I say rhythm, what I'm talking about is the, the timing mechanism between when your knees and your ankles and your hips are straightening to go up into the shot compared to when the arms are coming up. That's the rhythm that I'm talking about. And again, it's the attention to detail that you got to be able to have to, to be able to evaluate a jump shot. And so what we learned about, you know, when I was growing up and how we taught it was, it's almost like a lever. When your knees bent down, your arms would come up and that would generate a two motion shot. If you can picture that, it's like Kobe would shoot that way too. And what we discovered from these guys now that can shoot 50% from 40 feet like Steph Curry is, he bends his knees before the arms start to come up. And it almost looks like shots from the 40s. Those, those not like they weren't, you know, that they weren't set shots. They were that kind of runner from 15 or 18 feet. They would run off one foot, but it almost looks like that kind of timing. And you actually find there's that classic, you know, elbow at 90 degrees above your eyebrow ridge. You might actually find that if you do a really quick, you know, um, uh, if you take a freeze frame at some point in that shot, but it goes through that, that, position so quickly and up and out again that it's a one motion shot and so when I'm training players and working with their jump shots now I'm trying to find their own version of getting that one motion where the ball stays in front of the face and doesn't get released over the head anymore and it it has that rhythm where you bend your knees first just a little bit Sometimes I want it even more, but certainly that translates into the into the um, the rhythm. Now the dip is another interesting thing because I'm a big hop guy, okay, and I and I know that sometimes coaches don't like the hop, but I think I've gotten more of them to move in that direction. And the hop is the dip because your whole body drops into that position and then springs up in a very explosive move, and you can almost have built in rhythm that way, which I really like. However. Uh, the dip in, in the one, two used to really bother me. And I finally discovered not too long ago why it did. And I can, I've solved, I can, I now like the one, two when I teach it the right way, which is the bottom of the dip should be timed to the two. If you can picture that. So one, the ball starts to come down. And then as your right foot, let's say if you're a righty is tapping the ground on the two, that's when the bottom of the dip should be happening. And then it springs up into one motion like that. I think too many players will, in their one-twos, catch the ball, bring it down in their dip early, and so it stays there for a beat, but like by their waist, and then they have to try and generate that all that rhythm again going up when it's too late. 
Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think the whole thing goes back to what you just started with is with the rhythm. Too many times what I see is that there's this abrupt stop at some point in a shooter's rhythm. And so what they end up with is the lack of power because of what you just said. They have to start over in generating the proper power to get the ball to the actual hoop. And anytime that you have a stop and a start, that's going to somehow decrease your accuracy in your shooting. I agree. I think that, you know, when you have a, uh, when you interrupt the rhythm in a golf swing or when you're trying to break uh, for pool, all those different things, you're going to have problems that are going to break down and, and not keep your, you know, everything straight and true. And so it also kind of removes the, the mental part of it to some degree because once you can get that flowing rhythmic motion, then it, doesn't allow your any bad thoughts to get in there in the way and that would cause things to veer off you know what i mean you need to be able to snap into a motion that your body says oh i know what this is and i can do this in, you know smoothly um and it's when you start to have doubt and your mind starts to wander or you're losing focus that's when the mechanics start to break down and if you have a built-in pause or anything like that in your shot anyway then your body's going to find ways to make that really be a problem and uh, that's why when I train, I'm always trying to, you know, almost like get their head out of the way. I want your body to sort of have, uh, you know, and not mindless, but certainly I want your body to be flowing without any sort of negative repercussions that your brain might influence. And one more thing that he said, just to reiterate, uh, it's that dip of the whole body. This isn't just the ball dipping, because I feel like sometimes kids will overcompensate with not dipping their body enough. And so they dip the ball even lower, which sometimes, in my opinion, can throw off accuracy. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, interestingly enough, because we used to say the power from the shot is from the legs, and that's not really true. You watch Steph Curry shoot from 40 feet. He barely jumps you know, higher than a newspaper. It's because the rhythm is so good, and he has a good dip. So the dip itself, uh, I feel like at least the distance is is variable. Depends on where you are and how much time you have. And but you know you need to have some version of it, even if it's like three or four inches of that motion. Um, just like you would swing a golf club, you have to pull it back, or when you throw a dart, you pull it back. So same idea there. That's where the real power is 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 in the dip, and that's why you have to have it. And I feel like when I was growing up, again, they said if you want to be a D one shooter, you cannot dip the ball. And I would see all these great NBA shooters do it, and I would scratch my head and be like, okay. And I knew that when I tried to shoot, and that was a good shooter, my percentage went down 10 points easy when I didn't dip. And so, um, you know, you have to be able to do it. And if you if you don't have time to dip, then it's probably not a good shot to take unless there's a half a second on the shot clock. Now, that said, we've been discovering really cool things about the dip off the dribble because now that dribble shooting off the dribble is so important now, um, you know, there are ways to generate the dip that way, uh, especially from distance. And when we train that, that is tremendous results. You, it, it, unbelievably better for these players. Have you found, as far as release point goes, a difference between a release point that is in the middle of the head and then a release point that is slightly off to the right of the head? Does that make sense? Yeah. And that kind of still goes to like biomechanics individually. Um, you know, I, I, the release point. Yeah. Th- there's a lot of guys like Bradley Beal is kind of a midline shooter and he does pretty well. And, and it's interesting because some of those people that end up having funky releases or maybe in more in the middle than on the side or something are usually the result of like some coach at some point trying to force them to have 10 toes to the rim. And then their body is somehow trying to find proper alignment that way and however they can do that. And so that's a, that's kind of a nightmare scenario. And I've heard 
I was at a pro basketball combine a few weeks ago, and I heard nightmare stories of some coaches in the D1 level, like just destroying their these players' shots in the middle of the year, trying to like change all this stuff. And it was it's horrible to hear because a you can't do that in the middle of the year anyway, and then b they just didn't get it. So, uh, but again, the turn which you mentioned earlier, I think unlocked everything for for what we needed to do and that's sort of what got me away from pulling stretching yanking and trying to force the, their their biomechanics to be a certain way because you know if you're you know midline's fine to the side is fine as long as you have the the your elbow and your wrist and your hip in in alignment with the rim that's all that matters to me and that's then it becomes well how you know how flexible is your shoulder and your lower back and those in your in your hips those are the things that will then allow you to have the ball in your arm in a certain way you know I, we study this all the time you know the the lat you know the the um the lat that's the, the short term for the uh you know the, the muscle on the side of your body like you know when you're doing push-ups or uh you know bench press like that right lat is probably the most important muscle in the shot because it's what keeps your arm in a nice vertical plane the whole time and it's like do you ever hear any coaches work on that specific muscle to make sure that it's you know strong enough to do that no yeah that's true kind of finishing up with the last point here but i want to talk just a little bit about whatever you call it either being the guide hand the balance hand you may have another term for it um, are there things that you watch for? I know we always are watching for that extra thumb being involved, especially for younger players. Uh, but do you have anything kind of where the, where it should be positioned, how it should be positioned, how long it should be on the ball, anything like that? Sure. I mean, you know, we spent a lot of time looking at this. I mean, we can this this conversation can go on for about I don't know twelve hours. Um, you know, obviously, like you know, you if you teach it, you probably tell them have your middle finger straight up. You know, and you don't necessarily want thumb, but but you know how many good shooters there are that were thumbers. It, it's like a, an endless list. Larry Bird, you know, Steph Curry. Uh, every time I watch, there's another guy. Look, look how much influence that thumb puts on it. Um, you know, I was just watching uh, R.J. Barrett uh, footage all day yesterday, and he has a really interesting release. Although apparently they fixed it, but his offhand was on top of the ball. Now, my buddy Tommy Tempesta in New York, who is B Biomechanics on Twitter, and we interact all the time. He's the genius with all this stuff because. What he does is, and this is going to go away from the thumb for a second, but variability training is the key here when you're talking about trying to shoot, especially off the dribble now, where he will work on, you mentioned arm swings. He will work on arm swings across the left side of your body, then the right side, then up the middle. And then he'll work on picking the ball up with your hand on top of the ball, the shooting hand on top of the ball, then the shooting hand on the side of the ball, then underneath the ball. Because you realize in these game situations, off the dribble, you never necessarily get your hand on the right, exactly the right spot you want. And you might not be able to bring the ball up exactly the way you love it because the defender's hand is there or they're running at you or whatever. And so when you train that way with variability, then your nervous system is ready for that shot. And even if you're not taking a thousand shots in the, in the offseason, like, you know, swinging up across the left, like kind of like KD shoots it, your body still recognizes and remembers that you have worked on that and you aren't going to just sort of miss it on principle. You can have a chance to make that shot. So the thumb, again, is all part of that. There's lots of guys who impart uh, thumb, and I just don't even worry about it. I, I, I think sometimes what I'll say is bad coaching is infinitely worse than no coaching. 
because yeah. if you just if you, you know if you let a guy in the gym by himself, a lot of times like they'll end up be able to, to 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 teach themselves how to shoot better than you might have a guy who's forcing all the other things that we know not to be true anymore, like the thumbing thing. So I don't even really look at it anymore. If a guy is getting like you know side spin on it and he can't get it straight, you know, then we start. There's some tricks in my bag. We start to start pull, pulling out. Uh, you know, one of them is is you know you could take your left thumb and as on the release you can touch it to the inside of your wrist and if you can try that even you know if you're listening to this um i played around with that and it's, it is pretty effective to getting that left thumb influence off uh, once you pl- uh, play with it a little bit just really quickly if you haven't heard yet about anchor it is the easiest way to make a podcast it's free there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer anchor will even distribute your podcast to spotify and apple podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard you can even make money from your podcast no matter the size of your audience it really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place so download the free anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started like you said this can probably go on for hours but in keeping with the the name of the show we'll keep it short and to the point here but before we go i want you to kind of tell people what we were talking about before the show started just the kind of training and process and the things that you have that are coming up that are available for coaches. Sure. Well, you know, I started a, uh, a B-Ball Breakdown a monthly membership and included in that will be a growing library of encore demos. It's not just for coaches, it's for players too. The way I ended up teaching it, it's kind of like both. So I have a, there's a shooting system up there. And not only would you be as a player, you can learn, and I have lots of you know, drills and, and, and concepts to learn about shooting, but it's also for you know, if you want to teach the shot as well. So all the things we mentioned even here, and uh, I'll be constantly updating that and releasing more things because every day there's more and more stuff. Like how about this one for, for rhythm? You know, I, do you ever have coaches that teach you to have your shooting wrist back as early as possible, flexed mm-hmm. back? Yeah, yeah. You know, well, when you really look at all the good shooters, that's not what happens. They actually flex their wrist back as the ball is coming up into their shot. And guess what? That is almost like the equivalent of the dip, as we feel, for rhythm. So it's almost that notion of as, you know, as you're bringing it up, the wrist is coming back. If it's back too early, then again, it's that elimination of motion that will ruin rhythm. And when we played with that a little bit, and again, it's almost like no coaching is, is good coaching. Just simply don't stress having a wrist back early right because you're going to get that natural flow and so um anyway so so it's filled with lots of different things like that there's another one up there that's got like your four must-have actions in your offense as i studied uh you know the nba game and looked at what they're doing to get good open shots in the modern game with shooting off the dribble and with trying to pace and space at any level i I ran the triangle offense in high school for freshman year on Mm -hmm. so i'm no stranger to like you know giving high school players you know what would be deemed too complicated stuff but we we played great and we they really were able to learn it and and as long as you teach it properly it's nothing that they couldn't handle and the same thing with what i show in this which is basically almost like the modern up, the update of a triangle offense using a lot of plays that we see uh in the nba so much great stuff from coach nick we're going to have him back on so that he can continue this conversation but thanks so much for joining us today You got it, Coach. Thanks. That'll do it for this episode. If you haven't already, be sure to hit that subscribe button. If you shoot me an email of your subscription, I'll send you a development playbook. Again, big thanks to Coach Nick for coming on today. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out. 